Hear the word of God from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, located on page 886 in the Pew Bible. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, everybody. The Lord be with you. The sermon this morning is entitled United in Evangelism. If that doesn't really excite you, you are welcome to take out your smartphones and fill out your commitment forms. (laughs) Let us pray. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, I have some really good news that I simply must share with you. But the bad news for you is that I feel compelled to sing it. <laughs> do, 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 do. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving tomorrow. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York. These vagabond shoes are longing to stray right through the very heart of it. New York, New York. Hey, okay. Friends, the good news is that Lee and I leave tomorrow morning. We're off to New York City for a week's adventure in the Big Apple. We even get to tick off one of our bucket list items. We've got tickets to see Les Miserables on Broadway. Isn't that amazing? Good news. Good news indeed. But what's good news for us is sadly bad news for our cat. Because while we're away, Fizz has to stay behind to guard the parsonage. 
So if there are any kind souls here willing to make some pastoral cat calls this week, I know that he would really appreciate a little bit of company. You can contact the church office and put your name down on the catalog that we have there if you're able to help. Good news and bad news. Isn't it interesting how often they seem to go together? So much so that it's even become a distinctive joke genre. You know how they go, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that we've got all the money we need to balance the Hyde Park budget this year. The bad news is is that it's still in your wallets. (laughs) Which, by the way, wasn't actually a joke. (laughs) But in all seriousness, when good news becomes bad news, it isn't a joke. It's a tragedy. And sadly, that's been all too true of the theme we're exploring today. It's been said that evangelism is a word with a good heart, but a bad reputation. What a shame, because the word literally means to share good news. What could possibly be offensive about that? I mean, who wouldn't want to hear good news? Who wouldn't want to be evangelized? Turns out it's a whole lot of people. Because more often than not, the good news of evangelism becomes the bad news of judgmental, Bible-thumping, fear-mongering manipulation. Think about the overbearing office worker who feels the need to steer every single conversation to the subject of religion. Or the guy on the street corner with a bullhorn handing out tracts who's really kind of creepy. Or the zealous college kid who insists on asking you whether or not you've been saved. Or the bumper sticker that says, come to Jesus or go to hell. Or the guy on TV in a silk suit and tie who seems to be doing very well out of the business of salvation. Right across the spectrum... From the televangelists on the one end, whom some describe as the celebrity pro-wrestlers of religion, to the intense aunt on the other, who corners her teenage nephew every Thanksgiving and tells him that she's so worried that he's going to go to hell when he dies. The message of these so-called evangelists really doesn't sound much like good news. How can it be when manipulation, judgmentalism, guilt, and control are the driving mechanisms behind it? In my church email last week, I wrote about the movie Left Behind, which has recently opened in theaters and has been described by some as a great evangelistic tool. The main plot line of the movie is based on an idea called the rapture that has seeped into our religious consciousness as a society. It's really a crazy idea that has no biblical foundation or substantiation in the tradition of the church that asserts that Christians around the world will suddenly disappear from the earth 
before the second coming of Christ, being instantly transported to heaven in a Star Trek beam-me-up Scotty-type episode, while all the non-Christians are left behind to face the apocalyptic music of their wicked ways. In my email I wrote, the take-home message of the movie was essentially this, be afraid. If you're not a Christian, be afraid. If friends and family are not Christian, be afraid. And even if you are a Christian, be afraid, because who knows if you truly believe or if you too will be left behind. I said that when fear becomes the instrument through which we seek to achieve anything, it is a sure sign that we have deviated from God's mission of love in the world. And of course, then, whatever we say, it can never be good news. Thankfully, there are many Christians who get this, which is why they will have nothing to do with evangelism in these sorts of crude forms. To them I say, good for you. But still, the questions remain. How is it that good news, the good news of the love of God, can so easily become such bad news in which no love is evident? And can evangelism be redeemed? Can we be united in evangelism in ways that bring hope and life rather than guilt and fear? As I've thought about this, there's one critical factor that comes to mind that I think makes all the difference in the world between the good news and bad news varieties of evangelism. It is this. Do we see ourselves as being fundamentally connected to others or separate from them? It seems to me that all the bad news varieties of evangelism fall into the same essential trap of drawing a sharp dividing line between those who are doing the evangelism and those being evangelized, between us and them, between Christians and non-Christians, saved and unsaved, redeemed and damned, raptured and left behind. The whole purpose of evangelism then is to get those on the other side to cross that dividing line that the evangelists so quickly label salvation. In other words, to get them to become like us, to get you to become like me. And the subtle or sometimes not so subtle message is, I'm okay, you're not. I've got the answers that you need. And so the sooner you start believing what I believe, the better off you'll be. Is it any wonder that people want to run away screaming when we approach them in that kind of way? But friends, what if we saw ourselves as being fundamentally connected to others, sharing with them a deep and common humanity, 
that goes beyond what our particular religious convictions may be? What if our motivation for speaking to people was not to try to change them, but simply to get to know them? to learn from their experience, to recognize the validity of their experience, to listen to their wisdom, to share our struggles, questions, and uncertainties, as well as the hope our faith offers in the midst of these things, to listen attentively to their responses without judgment, without the need to contradict or defend, but simply to understand. What if we were released from any sense of burdensome obligation to try to convert others to Christianity. And instead, we're given permission to simply befriend them. How might that be an experience of good news for them, for us, and indeed for our world? One of the most beautiful sayings in South Africa is an Nguni proverb that goes like this, umuntu ngumuntu ngabantu. Can you say that? Um, Okay, don't worry. (laughs) Umuntu ngumuntu ngabantu, which translated means people are people through other people. This is what is commonly referred to as Ubuntu, the essence of being human. Listen to what Desmond Tutu has said about it. He writes, Ubuntu speaks about the fact that you can't exist as a human being in isolation. It speaks about our interconnectedness. You can't be human all by yourself. And when you have this quality, Ubuntu, you are known for your generosity. We think of ourselves far too frequently as just individuals, separated from one another, whereas we are all connected, and what we do affects the whole world. When we live well, it spreads out. It is for the whole of humanity. Friends, I'm convinced That the true spirit of evangelism is the spirit of Ubuntu. That it's only out of a deep sense of connection with others that the good news of the gospel can be truly shared. Which brings us finally to our scripture reading for today. The good news story of the healing of a lame man at the temple gates. There's much in this story that we can learn from about real good news evangelism. The first thing I'd ask you to notice about it is that the healing took place at the hour of prayer. Last week we spoke briefly about the purpose of prayer, that it's not about trying to manipulate or convince or control God in any way. We see that prayer is not a way of trying to get God to act but rather is a way of discovering how God is already acting. And so if prayer, therefore, is the practice of relinquishing control to God, can there be any better preparation for the work of evangelism than the practice of prayer? 
when we cultivate the holy habit of abandoning ourselves to God in prayer, there is a better chance that our own egos, neuroses, and agenda can be put aside. And we can connect with people as they are and so become effective instruments of good news to others. There's a beautiful prayer that I try to pray every day that focuses on this very idea. It's called the Prayer of Abandonment by Brother Charles de Foucault. This is how it goes. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. I'm ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are my Father. If that kind of prayer becomes the basis of our engagement with others, the evangelism we will share with them will truly be good news. The second thing I'd ask you to notice in the story is the recognition that takes place in it. We read that Peter and John looked intently at the lame man. The Greek word that Luke uses here is atenitso. Whenever he uses it, it always is used with the sense of looking intently in order to recognize and to truly understand. This is at the very heart of the story. Peter and John look at the man to understand his story, to understand what his years of paralysis have meant for him, to understand the deepest needs and longings of his soul. And then they say to him, look at us. You see, Peter and John also had their own stories of paralysis and aching need. Peter, the hot-headed one who had denied his Lord. John, who had selfishly tried to secure a position of prominence for himself in glory. They knew that they had been paralyzed also. But none of that mattered now. Because of the grace of Jesus that they had experienced, which had healed them of their paralysis. And so, in that mutual gazing, I believe there was a recognition of their common humanity and seeing in the lame man a reflection of what they once had been. It was for Peter and John another beautiful soul-born moment. I see you. And out of that deep recognition, they simply offered to the man what they had. Who wouldn't? 
I have no silver and gold, said Peter, but what I have I give to you. It was, of course, the grace that he himself had found in Jesus Christ, and he offers that, and it is overwhelmingly good news. And so, friends, as I conclude this sermon, there's a section of a poem by Maya Angelou that, I've wanted to, that I wanted to use in this sermon, but wasn't quite sure where to do so, but I'm wanting to trust it, and so to simply, as I try to tie these thoughts together, end with this extract from a poem. It speaks to me as I think about our calling to be united in evangelism. She writes, Lying, thinking last night how to find my soul a home where water is not thirsty and bread loaf is not stone. I came up with one thing, and I don't believe I'm wrong, that nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. Alone, all alone, nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. Maybe that's the reason why you and I are being sent to be the bearers of good news. Amen.